About three or four years after we were married, Amy and I had our first and so far only opportunity to travel to Israel, and uh, we really enjoyed that. At one point, I don't remember where we were in Jordan or Israel, where we were, uh, but uh, a man came up to me and pointed at my wife and said something in Arabic, and I turned to our guide, uh, Abed, and I asked him what he said. He said, well, he's offering you five camels and 20 sheep for her. Um, I didn't know whether it was a joke or not. I didn't bargain either. Uh, I just uh, smiled politely and, and said, no, thank you. In his defense, my wife looked like my daughter, and I looked like this. So that's probably why he thought that. Uh, I, I, a bunch of years later, I'm traveling to an um, airport in Chicago in a cab, and I find out the cab driver is Jordanian. He had come over here just a few years before, and uh, so I told him that story. And he said, so many sheep, she must be very beautiful. (laughs) So I didn't appreciate at the time, not knowing much about sheep, uh, that that actually was a compliment from uh, this fellow. Uh, We don't know a lot about most of us anyway, a lot about sheep, a lot about shepherding. We're in this series on the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and we've covered when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and uh, last week we saw Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, and now we come to John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the gate of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. And those statements come from a context of shepherding. And most of us have very little knowledge of that, and yet the Bible frequently uses that imagery to express very key truth. Uh, Things like, uh, we are all like sheep who have gone astray, or the Lord is my shepherd, or the parable of the lost sheep, or of the sheep and the goats, or of the sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Because most of us don't have much to do with sheep and that ancient world, we miss some significant things. So I believe as we get some better understanding, remind ourselves of of what Jesus says regarding sheep, uh, that there will be insights that God will use to empower your life and to live for Him in this day and age. So in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus describes uh, in these first few verses how sheep know the voice of their own shepherd and how that shepherd keeps them safe from thieves and robbers. In ancient Israel, sheep were uh, driven into a sheepfold at night, and that sheepfold was a wall of stones uh, about 8 to 10 feet high. There was no roof, uh, but the the wall was topped with ancient razor wire, which was actually thorny brushwood. And so you couldn't get over that wall, and the only way in, there was only one way in or out, and that opening was guarded by the shepherd. Uh, His body was the door. And often there would be several flocks in one sheepfold, and and then the the shepherds would take turns guarding that one door through the night. And in the morning, a shepherd would call his sheep out of the the rest of the flock. His sheep would raise their heads and immediately follow him. They would know the voice of their shepherd. And uh, if a stranger called, they would not only not listen, they would actually flee because there was only one shepherd that they trusted. And so Jesus says all this in the first five verses of chapter 10, and then verse 6, it says the people didn't understand what he's talking about. Uh, they, They know sheep, but they have no idea what point Jesus is making with these words. So he goes on to explain himself in verse 7 to 9. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, let me point out that in Jesus' world, and certainly before and after since, uh, many have claimed to be saviors who were not saviors. Uh, there were false messiahs, uh, and many of them trying to bring freedom through violence. There are uh, those who are teachers uh, who care more about rules than righteousness or care more about enriching themselves at the expense of the, of the people. And Jesus says, I'm not one of those. I'm the real deal. Uh, I'm not a fake or a phony. Uh, I am the gate. And, and at that gate, the, the shepherd would be, as the sheep would come in for the night, the, the shepherd stood at the door inspecting each sheep individually on the way in. And so cuts that he found were anointed with oil, and thistles and burrs were pulled out of the wool, and wounds were bandaged. And, and he counted his sheep, and he knew them by name. And once inside, uh, his flock all inside, the shepherd would lay down across the doorway. And nothing got by the shepherd without his knowledge. And Jesus says, I I am that door. I'm that door. The gate. Now what does that mean? What's he talking about? Well, a couple of sides, a couple of implications here. Uh, one is, clearly, Jesus is your only entrance to salvation. He says, this is how you're saved. This is a figure of speech that Jesus uses about salvation. And notice he's definitive that he is the only gate. That there aren't two ways in. There's no plan B. It's Jesus or nothing. He is the definitive gate. He's the only admission. And Jesus is repeatedly plain throughout his ministry about being the only Savior. So Jesus says things like, whosoever believes in God's one and only Son has eternal life, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's John 3, 16 to 18. Or Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And so when Jesus says, I am the gate, it's consistent with his message throughout his ministry. Uh, anyone who says Jesus was not an exclusive person in salvation has not read the Gospels, has not understood the Gospels. Jesus did offer himself to the world, uh, regardless of sin, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of status or economics or age or gender, but only those who receive him, those, only those who enter through him by faith are saved. Jesus is the only way to life. In a dangerous world, Jesus offers spiritual security. And so I just want to, before moving on, emphasize again how that happens. Uh, the Father sent His perfect, eternal Son into this world, and Jesus became one of us, took on flesh, yet without sin. He was tempted in every way we are, but His life was spotless, blameless, without fault, perfect in every way. And despite that, the government had Jesus executed. Uh, and his own religious leaders were the ones who demanded it. But that's why Jesus came. He came to die. That was his mission. And on that cross, uh, Jesus, the, the perfect Savior, absorbed God's punishment for sin. So the judgment against all sin, past, present, and future, for those who believe, was poured out on Christ. And so for all who enter in through that door, that one gate, your sin is paid for. He takes the penalty for your sin and gives you his righteousness. And so for all of you who are in Christ, God sees you as spotless. He sees you as without blame because Jesus paid it all. 
And that is my eternal identity and yours if your faith is in Jesus. Now, do I fail and fall? Yes, absolutely. I failed this past week. I failed with careless words and a lack of compassion and wasted time. I failed this morning. My, my daughter told me, you're a little bit irritable this morning. So uh, because of my identity in Jesus, though, God sees me as righteous. So as I confess my sins to him, my wrong thoughts, my bad attitudes, my selfish actions, he cleanses me from every sin. And thanks be to God for that. Uh, how could we stand otherwise? Thanks be to God. So uh, that, that leads to the other side of, of this gate. Let's consider this, and that Jesus shuts the door to your sin and guilt. The gate is the entry, but also it's the barrier to what's on the outside. Uh, Maxie Dunham tells about a young couple who came to him racked with guilt, and the, the guilt they confessed to him was, was started first when, before they were married, uh, there was a pregnancy, and they didn't ask anybody's advice, they didn't tell anybody about it, uh, they just went ahead and got an abortion. Later, this couple married, and everything was going beautifully. Both of them had successful careers happening, and then they decided to have children, but then they lost one pregnancy. Uh, and then a second pregnancy, both of them about four months in. And, and now they came to Maxie because they were devastated, they were overwhelmed with anxiety because now they were expecting a third time and, and they were terrified they would lose this one as well. And, and what they were expressing was they felt that the, the losses of the other pregnancies was God's judgment for their past sins. And that's not how that works, that's not uh, uh, what God does and Maxie uh, counseled with them and, and says this, he says, I will never forget their joy when in repentance they claimed the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. They renewed their commitment to him and allowed the door to be shut to that past. You might be paralyzed with guilt today because you have not yet confessed. You have not yet repented. You have not accepted yet the forgiving grace of Jesus. And I remind you that by the blood of Jesus, you can shut the door to your past. That whatever your pain, your failure, uh, your, your injury, no matter how deeply you've been wounded, how, how devastating your loss, how damaging the betrayal that you experienced, the door to all of that is closed by the one who said, I and the door. Now before uh, going on, I, I want to just consider again verse 9, where Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Uh, notice that after you enter through Jesus, uh, after you, he is the gate through which you enter salvation, as he says earlier, uh, that there's this ongoing relationship. There's a coming and going and finding pasture in Christ. Um, so what is all that about? Domesticated sheep must be led to pasture. Left alone, they eat the wrong things. Left alone, they keep eating that same spot until they've destroyed the grass and there's nothing left and they will eat things that are not food. Uh, they must be led here one day and there another day. They must be led away from the tender plants that might taste good but aren't as healthy so that they can feed on fibrous grasses that are better for them. The shepherd does that. This is a picture of contentment. That once you enter the door of salvation, there's this opportunity of contentment in Christ. And so let me sum it up with this phrase. That as the gate, Jesus is the only source of salvation and satisfaction. So in the safety of knowing that you belong to the shepherd, uh, you, you are under his care, and Jesus promises fulfillment 
to his sheep. Now, how does that happen? When you enter through Jesus, he becomes the one who cares for you. He's the one who guides you. And the day after day, as you follow where he leads, and you listen to what he says, and you stay close to him, there is satisfaction, there's contentment. And there are many, many doors and gates that people go through to attempt to find both salvation and satisfaction. There are all kinds of those. Like the religious leaders in front of Jesus right there. uh, People try to enter the door of religion. And they believe that if they do enough good, if they keep the moral rules, then they will be saved. Their, Their lives will have meaning. Religion is a horrible God. It will eat you alive. Because you can never be good enough. You can never do enough to measure up. Uh, You can't keep all the rules. You can't be righteous enough. Religion is a horrible God. Or or many people try the door of of family and relationships. And if you invest yourself in another person or other people in order to find meaning and purpose and identity and hope in your life, it will fail. It's what happens when your spouse dies or when your loved one rejects you if that happens. I remember years ago uh, preaching a a sermon on idolatry. And as I was uh, going from from one place where I was preaching to the the next place, uh, a woman grabbed a hold of me and turned me around. And uh, I I didn't know her, but there were tears in her eyes. And she says, my husband died two years ago. And he was my life. I don't know what else to do. And all too often, that's the kind of thing that I hear where someone is made another person the the main significance of their life and that what happens what are you left with when that person is no more the same thing happens with children when they become your meaning your purpose your identity your hope what happens when they grow up well you've either created an unhealthy codependence among those children with your lives so intertwined or you create a situation where Your children want to put as much distance between you as possible because the door of relationship is a horrible God. Uh, There's the door of entertainment, sports, uh, where where you try to find meaning or satisfaction, fulfillment. Uh, Two weeks ago, our grow group met for the first time on Sunday afternoon. And so knowing the Texans were in the playoffs, I recorded the game. And uh, when I got home, it was amazing to watch. They scored the first touchdown. They scored the second touchdown. They scored a third touchdown. They kicked a field goal. It's 24 to nothing. They've got this in the bag. I hate to break it to you. What a failure. See, that door of entertainment or sports or whatever will only distract you. It will only disappoint you. It will not fulfill you. It will not bring rest to your soul. The door of success, many people try. The Tao could reach 50,000, and it will never save you or satisfy you. Uh, you. You could own Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, and it will get you no closer to satisfaction, and certainly not salvation. In fact, it would make it more difficult for you. Because Jesus said it's easier to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so his disciples says, well then, nobody can be saved. And Jesus said, well, with God, all things are possible. But it's more challenging. And prosperity, success, is the the false God of the American dream. 
Many people try it. And the point is that whatever or whoever you put on the pedestal and you see as the door to real life, that's a false god. And you can make idols of all kinds of things. Family, health, possessions, alcohol, business, hobbies, education, politics. They have no power to save or to ultimately satisfy. They'll never bring you into relationship with God. Your soul hungers for rest. And these other things don't give it. They only steal it. And so look what Jesus says instead, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So when Jesus is your entrance to safe pasture, he will direct your life to a life that is full. He has your best in mind. And so when he says, you need to move over here, you need to stop eating that, or you need to feed on this, or you need to spend more energy in that, when you daily follow him to the place of refreshment, then contentment will be yours. Now when Jesus talks about life here, he uses the Greek word zoe. And so that's not, that life is not just about the physical, but the eternal. It's a life that goes beyond this earth. It's a quality of life that transcends food and drink and blood and tears and work and rest and time and treasure. It's real, complete, genuine vitality. And Jesus says, I've come to bring you that life, but then he adds more. I've come to bring that life to the full. The full. Now the New Testament uses a number of words to, that are translated full. There's one that describes boats so full of fish that they start to sink. There's another word for full that's used to describe jars filled to the brim and overflowing. Uh, There's one that's used to describe stomachs that are full of food, and and another that's used for baskets overflowing with leftovers, all in the New Testament. But thank the Lord, Jesus did not use any of those words. He didn't use any of those. Because the truth is, most of us already have a full life, don't we? Uh, It's too full. You can't think about adding another appointment, tackling another responsibility, handling another relationship. Your life is stuffed. You're wondering how you're going to fit everything in now. No, Jesus uses the Greek word parasos, which means going beyond what is necessary, exceeding the usual size. So this is not about filling your life with more. Jesus promises big life. That's the word I like to use. One that exceeds the usual. One that goes beyond the usual, beyond what you can ask or imagine or accomplish on your own. And this is opening the door to a whole new way of living, a whole new thing, forgiveness and acceptance and peace and freedom and eternity, a life that matters no matter how long that life lasts, a life that counts regardless of where it's lived, a life that is satisfied no matter how little you might have or who you're married to or how healthy you are, a life where the God of creation sees you and claims you as his own. That's the life Jesus promises. He offers, Jesus does, the opportunity to really live in a way that exceeds the usual. And he made it possible by the sacrifice of his life, as he says in the next verse, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So now Jesus changes metaphors. First said, I am the gate of the sheep. That's an object. And now he says, I'm the shepherd of the sheep. That's personal. And you need to appreciate how shocking these words would have hit that audience. I mean, most people today know Psalm 23, or at least parts of it. I mean, it's out there enough that most people would know it. I guarantee you every person listening to Jesus knew it far better than any of us do. The Lord is my shepherd. 
The Lord is. And, and multiple times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a shepherd. For example, uh, Psalm 80, O shepherd of Israel, Isaiah 40, the Lord God will feed his flock like a shepherd. Ezekiel 34, as a shepherd, I look after my sheep and rescue them. So don't you see? Don't you see that by, by saying this, Jesus was again claiming to be God? I'm the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now notice a few things about this good shepherd. Let me point them out to you. One is, this good shepherd protects. He protects. The defining characteristic of this shepherd is that he sacrifices his life for the flock. But listen, a shepherd does not sacrifice his life for his flock. It, it, that's not what a shepherd does. That's not his job. If a shepherd died on the job, it would be a disaster for the rest of the flock. Because as he tries to save one or two or three sheep, then he dies, he leaves the rest of the sheep vulnerable, lost. No one left to care for them. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Because his death meant life for the sheep. D.A. Carson says that the shepherd doesn't die for the sheep to serve as an example. So that as he's throwing his life over the side of a cliff and saying, this is how much I love you. That's not what the shepherd does. No, no, he does this because the sheep are in mortal danger. And so the shepherd loses his life because only by his death could they be saved. And that's, Carson says, what makes him the good shepherd above all else. He willingly dies for his sheep to protect them. Jesus says, I've come to give you life by laying down my life for you. And notice what he says next. Verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away when the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Uh, the, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So what else is true about the good shepherd? He cares, as opposed to the hired hand. If you were hired to tend sheep, they weren't your sheep. So just how far would you go to protect those sheep? Well, Jewish law tells you how far you are expected to go. Uh, ancient Jewish law, the Mishnah, uh, said that if just one wolf attacked, then it was your legal responsibility to defend the sheep. You'd be held responsible. If, if there's one wolf, it's your job. But if there are two or more wolves, then the hired shepherd would not be blamed for what happens. So there's the limit in ancient Jewish law. Uh, this summer, a uh, New Jersey family was camping in Banff National Park, which I've been to. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Matt, Alyssa, and their two boys were asleep at 1 a.m. when a wolf tore through their tent and attacked. And, and Alyssa said, it was like something out of a horror movie. Matt literally threw his body in front of me and the boys and fought the wolf as it ripped apart his arms and hands. We were screaming for help as he was trying to save us. I don't think I'll ever be able to properly describe the terror. And Matt did save his family from that attack, staved off the one wolf, but even a hired hand was expected to fight off one wolf. Jesus says the difference between me and all the others is it doesn't matter how many wolves there are. No matter what danger you face, I will never abandon you. I'm the good shepherd. One of the last things Jesus said to his followers before he left this earth was, surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't you see how precious it is 
that you have the good shepherd who will never abandon you? Don't you see how powerful that is? Because wolves are everywhere. They come in packs in the middle of the night. Anxiety and fear tear into you. Failure, frustration, betrayal rips your flesh. Disease, grief, addiction, loss slash deep into your life. But the good shepherd cares and will never desert you. That's why Scripture says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That's what the Good Shepherd does. So as Jesus describes this, let's continue verse 14. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. So He repeats it again, just as He does with the gate. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the good shepherd, he protects, he cares, and he knows. He knows. I I was uh, remembering my my last day, right before I graduated from graduate school. I was walking down the hallway, my last day of class, and coming toward me was a a very distinguished professor who'd been at the, the university for a long time, and I had not had the opportunity to have him as a prof. And I just wanted to introduce myself, say something to him. So I stopped him and I said, uh, Prof, I said, my name is John. You don't know me. I've not had a class with you. I haven't had that privilege, but I'm graduating and I wanted to just at least meet you before uh, I left. And he said, which John are you? And so I said, and he named a couple of them and then he named my name. And I was like, shocked. How, how do you know my name? He said, well, I've been praying for you every Thursday for the last four years. I pray for all my students. And I was like, floored. This guy knows me. He even knew I was married. He knew approximately where I lived. It was humbling and encouraging, but he didn't know me. He knew some things about me. didn't know me. Now when Jesus says, I know my sheep. The Greek word is gnosko, which is much more than just facts. It refers to a relationship of trust and intimacy. So it's not just he knows about me, knows some things about me. He cares. Jesus loves his people individually. That's how deeply you are known by the good shepherd. And because of that, Jesus says, you know God. Now, you don't know God as deeply and fully as he knows you, surely. But you know God the way a baby knows its mother. The the mother who nurses and comforts and changes him. He doesn't know her name. He can't say her name, but he knows his mother. He knows her face. He soaks in her love. If you belong to Jesus, consider this. How do you feel? Or what do you feel when you hear truths about Jesus Christ? Does it make your heart beat a little faster? Doesn't it warm your soul to hear about your Savior? Does it thrill you at all to sing praise to his name? It certainly does me. And that's just one little indicator that he knows you and you know him. How glorious that we have a Savior who understands us intimately and knows us 
even knows our weaknesses. So let me put it in these words. That Jesus is the only shepherd who saves you at the cost of his life. That, that, that's the emphasis that Jesus made throughout this. He's the one who will save you at the cost of his life. The book uh, called Jesus in the Margins is a collection of letters from people who have gone through some traumatic experiences in their life, and one of those letters early in the book is from 31-year-old Tiffany, and these are her words. When I was nine years old, I was molested by a family member. At the time, I really didn't understand what was happening, but I was too scared to tell anyone. Because he was a family member, I felt that somehow my mom and dad allowed it to happen. That wasn't true, but at the time I didn't know any better. The abuse continued until I was 12, and that's when I told my mom. She cried so hard for so long, and then I realized the gravity of what had happened. I've never been able to scrub the sick feeling off my soul that was put there through the abuse. So I just go through life feeling that if anyone ever knew who I was on the inside, they would just simply reject me. I hate men. Every relationship I've ever had has been shallow because of it. I can have sexual relationships, but I can't give myself to them emotionally. Trusting men with my body isn't a big deal. I just can't trust them with my heart. And I'm angry with God. Why did he let it happen to me? He couldn't really love me. Well, at the end of the book, there's another letter from Tiffany after she has met the good shepherd, the one who protects and cares and knows. Here's what she says. I'm always amazed at how God has met me in the deepest parts of me. I realize that God has loved me the whole time. The abuse taught me that I was worthless, but Christ has taught me that I am precious to him. The greatest thing is that in his love, I could really forgive the person who, who hurt me and move on. Moving on is a daily thing for me. I can't say that the pain is gone forever, but it's different now. I'm still single, but I don't give myself away to guys anymore. I see now that the love I was looking for can only be found in Jesus. Whatever is going on in your life today, I point you to the Good Shepherd. He's the one who protects you. He, he's the one who cares for you. He's the one who knows you intimately like no one else to the point of the sacrifice of his life. We're going to take a few moments in this service now to give an opportunity for you to speak to the shepherd. An insert in your bulletin lists recent prayer requests that come from our prayer wall. And so I want to give you a couple of options here. Feel free. A couple of options about what we will do. You can, in a moment, gather two, three, or four people around you and pray aloud as a group for some of the things on this list. Or you can stay by yourself and silently speak to God about whatever is on your heart, whether it's on this list or not. We'll just take a few minutes to do this. Talk to the Good Shepherd. Turn your cares over to Him. Call on Him to minister to others in their time of need. And so, right now, either gather a couple of people around you to pray aloud, or as an individual, be silent before the Lord, who is your shepherd. Let's do that now.